This is I Am Change Podcast. We must get people to connect more with this idea. Vulnerable children are going to be the most hard hit by this pandemic. Next, I'm just going to write myself. I'm going to make sure I direct. I have seen how words move people to action. IIC Podcast hopes to inspire you to live more consciously and be the change the society needs. I think the most important thing is self-reliance. Sit down and look at your processes properly. I'm your host, Koride Aziz. The day before Benin Republic's legislative elections on 28 April 2019, citizens complained that the popular social media and messaging apps weren't working smoothly. Netblocks, an internet freedom and governance organization, confirmed that the restrictions were real. Similar shutdowns and restrictions were noted in Cameroon, the Democratic Republic of Congo and Malawi, all related to ongoing elections in those countries. This is only one of the many ways African governments have violated or shown lack of interest in the digital rights of their citizens. For many of us, losing internet connectivity for a day or having our favorite social media platforms disrupted for a couple of hours will be annoying. But should we be more concerned about the implications of such events, especially when they happen during elections or vote counting? To help us answer these questions, I spoke with Benga Chesson, Executive Director of Paradigm Initiative. CNN listed him as one of the top 10 African tech voices on Twitter, and Ventures Africa listed him as one of 40 African legends under 40. I was curious about what makes Benga as passionate as he is about digital inclusion and digital rights in Africa. So I asked him about his experiences before he became executive director of Paradigm Initiative. In my third year in high school, uh, I was denied access to a computer lab because there were only, I mean, the reason was because there were only two you know, computers and the teacher was scared that we were going to destroy it if we didn't know how to use it. So we basically made it possible for those who knew how to use it uh, to come in and just who didn't, you know, just, you know, send them off. Um, and it works to me quite sharp. We don't forget I was, was about, you know, 12 or 13. I was highly impressionable, very convinced that I was, you know, one of the smartest people on earth. And then it child looked me in the eye and said, you know, computers are not people like you. You can't wow. understand how to use them. But the good thing is it planted a seed in me and it got me curious about computers. It made me literally forced my parents' hands to send me to a computer school where, incidentally, I, because I did pay for the beginner's class, we used typewriters instead of computers. But good news as well there, I got a bit stubborn with not staying in my own class, going to listen in to the other sessions. And then one of the days, laid my hands on a computer, uh, practicing, I think it was GW Basic or Q Basic that they were being taught. Mm-hmm. And then the computer started making noise. You know, this was the days of DOS, by the way. This was exactly 1994. This computer started making noise. And I remembered that they added in class that they were taught. The senior class was taught us control delete to shut down a computer. And so I did it. And as I did it, and I was raising my hands, you know, fist in the hair, thinking, yes, I'm a genius. I turned around to see the owner of the computer uh, institute behind me. And I thought I was dead, literally. Like, okay, now he's going to kill me for, first of all, I was outside my class where I hadn't paid. But he was kind enough to invite me to his office and then said I should come every weekend and he would teach me personally so that I would not destroy his own computers. And I think that kind of tells the story of two different kinds of teachers I met in my life. The one who looked at me and said, you can't. And the one who saw the fire and decided to literally put 
full of uh, in the fire. I told myself at the time that when I learned how to use this thing, I would teach other people so that they don't face the, you know, the kind of embarrassment that I faced. <laughs> so I, you know, that kind of came back to me. So I decided I was going to work with a non-profit for one year, do my NYSC, and then go on to my dream company, which was Slumberjane, the oil servicing company at the time. I mean, who didn't like money? Yeah. Of course, I went there. Uh, you know, so it started with junior achievement. I spent one year working for a non-profit and I was loving it. Mm. Around the time, I won the ITU's Ambassador Award, uh, which was, you know, 100,000 naira plus mm. a lot of visibility and all that. So all of this things came together and I decided to stay on a bit more as part of uh, junior achievement. So uh, then one year became two years and it became six years. Wow. I, and I left something for them called the Lagos Digital Village, mm-hmm. which was uh, in the meta. Uh, a partnership between Lagos State, Microsoft, and Junior Achievement. And I wanted to do something that was 100% focused on IT. So I then decided uh, to take a break February 13, 2007. I put in my resignation and I took a break, went for a fellowship, uh, the Desmond Tutu Fellowship. And on my way back to Nigeria, I started scribbling a few things uh, in the airplane. I I had about four thousand dollars in savings from consulting then, and I thought it was a lot of money. So I decided to start mm-hmm. you know, an initiative in Nigeria, mm-hmm. uh, which before then was already existing as a mailing list. Uh, they started as Black Pioneers mailing list, then became e Nigeria mailing list, then became. Um, I don't remember the other name before part of the issue in my chair. So that's how things started. And four years into our work, in fact, not even four years, two years into our work, I realized that no matter how much we train young people, if the policy environment is wrong, Mm. then we will be wasting our time. So that's when I got interested in cybercrime in 2008. And eventually in 2013, uh, I realized that the problem in Africa is not just about the one law on cybercrime. It's about all of the bad laws that lead to the environment of oppression and uh, violation of rights and things like that. And coincidentally, I was invited to a meeting uh, to focus on digital rights that same year. I mean, many things happened. I was invited to a meeting in DC about digital rights. Uh, I got funding for work on digital rights. And I met with the National Security Advisor in Nigeria, who I told many things, you know, like, I don't like this about Nigeria. I don't like that about your laws and how you are using terrorism and excuse and things like that. And they asked me one question in that meeting. What exactly do you want? You know, so all of this came together and I said, you know what, maybe I should do what I normally do best, which is to put this idea into a program that an institution can run. And that's how our digital rights program started. So now about digital rights and the digital rights bill. The bill has been dragging on for so many years. Why do some people find it so problematic? I mean, who has the most problems with the digital rights bill and why? Um, so I think it's very clear that anyone who is focused on security as an opportunity to get a big budget will not be a very good friend of a you know of legislation that says you have to focus more on rights mm-hmm. and less on using security as an excuse. But having said that, I think you know the onus also you know rests on us as as the advocates for this um, idea that we must, you know, get people to connect more with this idea. Uh, you know, not many people will prioritize rights over their next meal. Uh, if you said to someone, between getting your digital rights and getting lunch today, <laughs> you people will, of course, everybody will choose lunch. Even I will choose lunch, right? Uh, you know, unfortunately, because you want to survive. But it is our job as rights advocates and activists and enthusiasts to then 
create the relationship between rights and launch. Now, that is the reason why I would even consider rights in the first place, because I know that uh, if people's rights are violated, it means that their humanity is eroded. It means that their opportunity to even rise and go for the resources that will give them their next meal uh, will also be affected. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, so mm. that's, uh, that's, that's, you know, uh, what, where, where the work is. So I think it's, it's not as much as who is against, mm-hmm. but as much of how many people are not yet for it. Uh, and that's, that's where we have our work cut out for us. It's very easy for someone who isn't a blogger or a journalist or maybe who isn't very active online to dismiss the digital rights bill or digital rights in general as something that's not important for them. But it's not correct to believe this, right? So if I'm not a blogger or a journalist, why should I care about digital rights? Why is it so important for the average person? Okay, so apart from the fact that uh, I'm more than happy to share something I've written about this, which is a bit comprehensive, and it was actually even published by the the Guardian, I think that the first thing we need to realize is that this is digital age, right? Um, There's nothing that you do. Nothing has even shown us that more than this pandemic. Everything is now digital. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, if we do not realize that digital means that all of our life, our work, our play, our interactions, our learning, and you know, including our political uh, opportunities to have conversations, all of these things happen on digital platforms. So even for any reason, we do not protect the digital space so that our rights uh, are seen as important. It means there are costs, you know, to this uh, sort of violations. For example, there are social costs. It means that if the internet is shut down in a country or social media is not working, uh, you'll see that once in a while when WhatsApp is down, people will be tweeting, WhatsApp down, WhatsApp down. Mm-hmm. It means they can't connect. When you can't connect, uh, we've seen a scenario, for example, I mean, there are stories around the tragedies, you know, that follow shutdowns and disruptions. A mother who was about to give birth but couldn't get connected to the hospital because all the lines were down and lost her baby in transit or somebody who could not connect with their families and had to travel around Maiduguri, you know, just to be able to go to the nearest town to be able to make a phone call and then were met by terrorists on the way and died. So there can be communications in both space. The other is economic costs. There are economic costs to it. If rights are violated, it means that government is spending unnecessary money procuring equipment. I mean, one of the things I think people can understand is that every year, and this is something we've been doing since 2013, every year there are billions of naira budgeted for spying equipment by the government of Nigeria and many governments across Africa. This is money that could be used for healthcare. This is money that could be used for education. This is money that could be used for, you know, many things that is now being spent on monitoring because they want to validate rights uh, in that space. And so there, there's so much that can happen. And unfortunately, I think the biggest lesson here is that if we don't create a level playing ground, a level playing ground where everyone has their, you know, everyone we literally have our rights uh, in place, it means that when we fall foul of the people in charge of power at a time, we'll be in trouble. Don't forget, uh, Dasuki was at some point in national security advisor in Nigeria. Yes. Uh, he held the power, he made sure anybody who was to be arrested got arrested. If I, there was someone he didn't like, he could get them arrested if he wanted. Mm-hmm. But when 
is principal lost power. When PDP lost, it was removed. Not only has it been removed, now he's singing a tune of digital rights activists and saying, I want you to respect my rights, I want my own rights respected and things like that. So the table turned. Yeah. Unfortunately, the only way to make sure the table is the round table that everyone benefits is to avoid the sharp edges of violation. So this is one reason, one other reason why everybody uh, should should care. Hmm, absolutely. So for young people who are concerned about how to protect their digital rights, how do you suggest they go about it? How do they join the fight? I mean, I think the, the, place, the place to start from um, is understanding, right? Uh, because if, if you don't know how it affects you, then you will see the tune of other people. But if you understand that, okay, my own is that I want to continue learning online without disruption. Or mine is when I'm talking to my friends, my spouse, my boyfriend or girlfriend or anybody I'm talking to, I want to make sure that the connection is constantly working. I don't want disruptions or I want economic opportunities and I don't want the clampdown of government to affect me or things like that. From that angle, you can then speak about demanding your rights. Um, and moving from understanding then to actually documenting what's going on. So one of, one of the challenges that we have is that uh, history can easily be manipulated if a record is not kept. So for example, some people say things like, oh, the government before never did anything bad. It is this government that did something bad. <laughs> Hello, we kept records from 2013 to date. And we can tell you that every government since 2013, before then, we have some scanty details, but from 2013, we've kept accurate records, and we know that everyone who's been the leader of this country since 2013 has signed a budget that has provisions for mass surveillance and that has the potential of being abused uh, for rights violations. And, and so, keeping records is important, but also, apart from you know knowing where the shoe hurts you, knowing to keep records, is also to speak up. Don't just keep quiet when things happen. I mean, we we seem to belong to a generation that keeps quiet until the first person speaks up. Uh, and I don't even think it's a generational thing. I think it's it's just human. Everybody doesn't want to rock the boat, but once one person rocks the boat, we all then say, yes, yes, you know, I want to say it. And things like that. So I think it's important to speak up. I think the most importantly is that we need to stop waiting for others to take action for us. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's a sense of outsourcing activism and advocacy to people that we think are the ones in charge. Part of me working on the platform, uh, you know, we hope to release the beta by the end of the year that will allow anyone to be able to report any incident so that, you know, someone from the other side uh, on the back end can then assign it and, you know, our legal partners can take action and things like that. But even until then, do something. You can do something as small as speaking up, something as small as documenting and sharing them, you know, with a lawyer who can take action or doing something even as small as just, you know, somebody writes about it, just retweet it. Give that person's voice uh, some, you know, uh, augment their voice a bit so that what they are saying can be heard. So earlier, you made mention of government spending so much on equipment to spy on people, on the citizens. But why is it so important for government to do this? I mean, why do they spend so much trying to find out or trying to keep tabs on what everybody is doing? Um, so a lot of politics and governance uh, in the world, not just in Africa, is about control. Nobody wants to lose elections, but also 
a lot of leaders want to know what's going on and they want to unfortunately be on top of things even if it means doing it uh, illegally. Of course, in many environments, they're not able to do that because uh, they're under the watchful eyes of, of many people. Uh, but the important thing is to realize that every government has an agenda. And if there is something that will help them uh, pursue that agenda, they would likely you know, take advantage of uh, you are likely to do that thing. So, uh, don't forget that I'll give you a practical example in Nigeria where there was changing power in 2015. The same government today was in opposition then and was being harassed by the security services, uh, by the government of Good Luck Jonathan. Today, the same government is overseeing the harassment of many other people by the same, uh, state security services. Mm. So you, you then you then you then ask yourself uh, that you know is it's it's is it is this about who's in charge? Of course it's not. Is it about the institution? Of course it's not. It's about control. It's about the fact that the levels of power will always be held by those who do not want to lose out. Uh, and, and you know that's that's why it's important to know that governments will always invest in what will help them. Uh, many times they'll give excuses. I mean, if here people will give excuses and say things like, oh, we are shutting down the internet because we don't want children to cheat in their exams. <laughs> and um, it, is, it is quite laughable when you really think of the purpose of education and exams. Mm. Uh, but apart from that, you also see excuses uh, of terrorism, excuses of uh, protest. Um, and now, listen to you, by the excuses of fake news. Uh, we don't want people to die from a pandemic because we are sharing false information. Maybe they will die. You know, uh, many times these decisions are made to protect this government, uh, you know, representing themselves, not really, uh, not really uh, the people, the citizens as they, as they claim. Paradigm Initiative released the Digital Rights in Africa Report 2019 titled Violations Reloaded. Government overreach persists despite increased civil society advocacy. The report gives an in-depth analysis of the state of digital rights in Africa and examines violations such as internet disruptions, illegal surveillance, arrest of bloggers and the passage of hurtful legislation, amongst others. Based on this report, Paradigm Initiative produced a short film titled Training Day. It's a 19-minute film intended to highlight the problems identified by the report. You can watch the film for free on YouTube. I'll leave you a link in the description so you can watch it right after listening to this podcast. Protests have broken out in parts of the city over the government shutting down the internet. You applied for a job, but you do not know what a company does. These guys do effective work at monitoring and scrubbing communications across the continent. There is an office bet on how fast you can get a series of names from our friend in. I put my money on you to split that in half. Was I wrong? So I was hoping you could help us unpack some of what we saw in the film. Okay, so I'm starting to notice that film is our first step in demystifying information around digital rights. Uh, we want to democratize our information. We want people to understand how it connects to them. Uh, in this case, the story is told of a boy who is in search of a job and then finds out that actually this company that is head about and that they do a lot of work around security, you know, uh, the reason they are that powerful 
things because they do some things that, you know, uh, may best be left unsaid. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to introduce any spoilers here for anyone who hasn't seen the film, but go see it. Mm-hmm. And the good thing is that we've used the 19 minutes of the film to tell the story that we, were, we would have otherwise told in a report that is almost you know, 70 to 80 pages. Mm. Not only who original reports, but people can spend 19 minutes to watch engaging, fun, and entertaining content. And to be fair, I, I have a background in, in, in drama and a bit of things in film uh, myself. And so I've seen the power of drama, I've seen the power of film uh, in, in storytelling. And I think that it's a beautiful thing uh, for advocates to be able to use. Mm. So do you see Paradigm Initiative um, embarking on more projects like that, so producing yeah. more films? We're ready. Uh, working towards the 2021 edition of the film. Uh, and like I told people, in, in nine years, expect a feature-length film. If, you know, by the time, of course, by that time, cinemas will be open, thankfully. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people, even way before then, way before the next nine years, cinemas will be open again. And we'll be able to, you know, sit for, like you do for 90 minutes, to watch a film. Uh, that you enjoy with the popcorn and the drinks and you're excited and you leave the place talking about the story. We hope to do the same, uh, to, you know, using our report and many other, you know, aspects of it for what digital rights. Now, that is something I'll definitely be looking forward to. Meanwhile, what do you do when you are not working on um, Paradigm Initiative projects? I watch movies. However, I have a joke about the fact that when we start a uh, in a series together and she goes off. Mm-hmm. Typically, I finish it and then we have to watch it together again. So I, I do start playing tennis a few months uh, before the lockdown and I, I do miss that now. In fact, funny thing is I'm actually wearing my, my tennis. As I had to tell you, maybe I miss tennis that much. Uh, and, I, and I swim. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, those are the two things that I can't really do right now because of some, uh, I love to swim. Relaxing. All right, brilliant. So to wrap up, please tell us what you are currently reading. So I am reading a book that I actually have read before, titled Made to Stick by Dan and Chip East. They're two brothers. One of them uh, was my lecturer at Stanford. And in fact, I was how we got the book. Uh, and the other is a consultant. Uh, they wrote a book about how some ideas get forgotten and some ideas remain forever. Um, and that's something that I've been using for a long time because I thought to read the book again and you know, refresh my ideas. All right. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today, Benga. It's been so nice talking to you. Thank you, Gloria, for having Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. Margaret Mead. That's the quote I'll be wrapping up with. Apt, don't you think? If there's one thing you take away from this episode, I hope it's that your digital rights are your human rights. Every decision the government makes or fails to make about how we conduct our affairs online can not only foster or hinder our development as a nation, but can affect us personally in ways we might never have thought possible. So, are you going to speak up? Thank you for listening. IAC Podcast is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
On Twitter, we are at IAC underscore podcast. On Facebook and Instagram, we are at I am Change Podcast. Share this podcast with your friends and please rate IAC Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud or wherever else you listen to podcasts. That way, more people can find us. Until the next episode, continue to be the change you want to see. I am Koridi Aziz.